Chapter 221 of Vani the Vampire, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellie. Vani the Vampire, Volume 3 by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 221. The Night Watch, The Vault it was each moment becoming a more difficult affair to carry on any conversation in the public-house parlor for not only did the thunder each moment almost interrupt the speakers with its loud reverberations but now and then such a tremendous gust of wind would sweep around the house that it would be quite impossible for any one to make himself heard amidst its loud howling noise these were circumstances however which greatly added no doubt in the getting up of a superstitious feeling in the minds of the people there assembled which made them ripe for any proposition which perhaps in their soberer moments they would have regarded with considerable dismay hence when the blacksmith rushed to the door crying who will follow me to the old church and lay hold of the vampire about half a dozen of the boldest and most reckless and be it told to their honour if there be any honour in such an enterprise which after all was a grossly selfish one they were the worst characters in the village started to their feet to accompany him thither there are many persons who waver about an enterprise who will join it when it has a show of force and thus was it with this affair the moment it was found that the blacksmith's proposition had some half dozen stout adherents he got as many more some of whom joined him from curiosity and some from dread of being thought to lack courage by their companions if they held off there was now a sufficiently large party to make a respectable demonstration and quite elated with his success and caring little for the landstorm that was raging the blacksmith closely followed by the butcher who had no objection in life to the affair especially as he was at variance with the parson concerning the tides of a little farm he kept called out to the church to the church and followed by the rebel rushed forward in the direction of the sacred edifice as the hour of eleven was struck and as the reader is aware that at that hour sir george crofton and his two sons accompanied by mr bevan had agreed to go to the church on their melancholy errand we will leave the noisy brawlers of the alehouse for the purpose of detailing the proceedings of those whose fortunes we feel more closely interested in the baronet was by no means wavering in his determination notwithstanding it had been made at the time of unusual excitement when second thoughts might have been allowed to step in and suggest some other course of proceeding now mr bevan was not without his own private hopes that such would be the case for what he dreaded above all things was the truth of the affair and that sir george would have the horror of discovering that there was much more in the popular superstition than without ocular demonstration he would have been inclined to admit although a man of education and of refined abilities the evidence that had already showed itself to him of the existence at all events of some supernatural being with powers analogous to those of the fabled vampire was such that he could not wholly deny without stultifying his intellect that there might be such things it is a sad circumstance when the mind is as it were compelled to receive undeniable evidence of a something which the judgment has the strongest general reasons for disputing and that was precisely the position of mr bevan and the most unenviable it was that night's proceedings however in the vault he felt must put an end to all doubts and perplexity upon the subject and so with a fervent hope that in some at the present inexplicable manner the thing would be found to be a delusion he waited more anxiously the arrival of the crofts at the parsonage 
at half past ten o'clock instead of eleven for as the evening advanced sir george crofton had shown such an amount of nervousness that his sons had thought it would be better to bring him to the parsonage they arrived and mr bevan perceived at once what a remarkable effect grief and anxiety had already had upon the features of the baronet he was a different man to what but a few days since he had been and more than ever the kind clergyman felt inclined to doubt the expediency of his being present on such an occasion and yet how to prevent him if he were really determined was a matter of no small difficulty my dear friend said mr bevan will you pardon me if i make an effort now to persuade you to abandon this enterprise i can pardon the effort easily said sir george crofton because i know it is dictated by the best of motives but i would fain be spared of it for i am determined i will say no more but only with deep sincerity hope that you may return to your dwelling each relieved from the load of anxiety that now oppresses you i hope to heaven it may be so the night looks strange and still said charles who wished to draw his father's attention as much as possible from too close a contemplation of the expedition on which they were bound it does said edwin i should not be surprised at the storm for there is every indication of some disturbance of the elements let it come said sir george who fancied that in all those remarks he detected nothing but the wish to withdraw him from his enterprise let it come i have a duty to perform and i will do it though heaven's thunders should rock the very earth the forked lightning is not launched at the father who goes to watch at the grave of his child charles and edwin upon finding that sir george was in the mood to take a misapplication of whatever was said to him desisted from further remarks but left mr bevan quietly to converse with him in a calm and unirritating manner it was the object of the clergyman to put off as much time as possible before proceeding to the church so that the period to be spent in the family vault of the croftons should be lessened as much as possible for he felt assured that each minute there wasted would be one of great agony to the bereaved father who would feel himself once again in such close approximation to that daughter on whom he had placed some of his dearest affections sir george however defeated this intention by promptly rising when his watch told him that the hour of eleven had arrived and it was in vain to attempt to stultify him into a belief that he was wrong as regarded the time for the church was sufficiently near for him to hear the hour of eleven pealed forth from its ancient steeple come said sir george the hour has arrived i pray you do not delay i know you are all anxious and fearful concerning me but i have a spirit of resolution and firmness in this affair which shall yet stand me in good stead i shall not shrink as you imagine i shall shrink come then at once it is suspense and delay which frets me not action these words enforced a better spirit into both his sons and mr bevan and in a few moments the party of four surely sufficiently strong to overcome any unexpected obstacles or to defeat any trickery that might be attempted to be passed off upon them proceeded towards the church it will be recollected that it was just a little after that time that the storm commenced and in fact the first clap of thunder that seemed to shake the heavens took place just as they reached the old graveyard adjoining the sacred building there exclaimed charles i thought that it would come what matter said sir george come on humor him in everything said mr bevan it is madness now to contradict him he will not recede under any circumstances the natural senses of sir george crofton appeared to be preternaturally acute for he turned sharply and said quickly but not unkindly 
No, he will not recede. Come on. After this, nothing was said until they reached the church door, and then, while Mr. Bevan was searching in his pockets for the little key which opened the small private entrance, some vivid flashes of lightning lit up with extraordinary brilliancy the old Gothic structure, the neighboring tombs, and the melancholy yew trees that waved their branches in the night air. Perhaps the delay which ensued before Mr. Bevan could find the key likewise arose from the wish to keep Sir George Crofton as short a time as possible within the vault. But he at length produced it, for any further delay could only be accounted for by saying that he had it not. The small arched doorway was speedily cleared, and as another peal of thunder broke overhead in an awful grandeur of sound, they entered the church. Mr. Bevan took the precaution this time to close the door, so that there could be no interruption from without. Now, Sir George, he said, remember your promise. You are to come away freely at the first dawn of day, and if nothing by then has occurred to strengthen this frightful supposition, which, I suppose I may say, we have all indulged in, I do hope that forever this subject will be erased from your recollection. Be it so, said Sir George, be it so. Mr. Bevan then busied himself in lighting a lantern, and from beneath one of the pews where they were hidden he procured a couple of crowbars with which to raise the stone that covered the entrance of the vault. These preparations took up some little time, so that the old clock had chimed the quarter past eleven and must have been rapidly getting on to the half-hour before they stood in the aisle close to the vault. This marble slab said sir george as he cast his eyes upon it always hitherto has been cemented in its place why is it not so now is it not said mr bevan no lend me the light mr bevan was averse to lending him the light but he could not very well refuse it and when sir george crofton had looked more minutely at the marble slab he saw that it had been cemented but that the cement was torn and broken away as if some violence had been used for the purpose of opening the vault but whether that violence came from within or without was a matter of conjecture. End of chapter 221 Recording by Ellie, June 2009